Hello to all of our guys, gals, non-binary pals, freaks and geeks, hair-raising homies, and spooky cuties. Rob here, and I want to tell you about our great friends at Slay Tees. The fact that Riffing on Horror is making its first commercial should tell you something in itself about them. Slay Tees is an LGBTQ plus owned company in Canada, and they take pride in making clothing and items made for humanity in general. With that being said, did you know that when you're finished shopping on their site, that we have a code that will save you some moolah? Yep, that's right. At checkout, type in Riffing on, on Horror, all one word, and you'll get 10% off of your entire purchase. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, did you get the name of the company? <laughs> Slay Tea specializes in the horror genre for their merchandise and... <clears throat> Surprise, Sydney! We specialize in horror, too. With that, I also want to introduce you to the first special edition design of 2022. It's called Killer Cast. This design has been released to coincide with the return of the Scream franchise to the big screen. I've said so many times across all of our podcasts, shows, and other platforms that Scream is one of my favorite franchises ever, and this is right up my alley. The design is seriously sleek, and the quality of the tee is ridicu- ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. These shirts, stickers, and hoodies are limited edition, so grab one or 50 before they're all gone. Remember to use our code RIFFINGONHORR, all one word, RIFFINGONHORR, R-I-F-F-I-N-G-O-N-H-O-R-R-O-R, at checkout to save 10%. Go to SlayTeeCanadas.com to get a hold of their fall-winter collection designs before they're gone as well. Remember, SlayTeesCanada.com, S-L-A-Y-T-E-E-S-C-A-N-A-D-A.com, and at checkout, use our code, RIFFINGONHORROR, R-I-F-F-I-N-G-O-N-H-O-R-R-O-R, to save 10% on your entire order. Now... Enough talking, and let's get on to the show. Riffing on Horror Network. out there to allow you hair-raising homies and spooky cuties and freaks and geeks. Love you all. Hello. Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Horror. Rob. Oh yeah, that silence means I'm alone. So, <laughs> basically what happened was Brand decided that she didn't want to do this anymore. Um, she doesn't have the time, for one. Um, our life changed in November when we finally found a girlfriend and um well I'd say September actually of 2021 and then she moved in with us in November like late November so things have been going very fantastic for us relationship wise everything's been great but with everything that's going on Brand decided that she wanted to pull out of doing the show, and that's very respectable. That's very okay. So it wasn't trouble with reading on though, and I get it. It's fine. Um, issues with that. So I bid my wife adieu, and I love her, 
But as of right now, I am flying solo. And sorry that it took so long to... But she was debatable months, and then finally she decided to do it. And, you know, we tried to record an episode, like, for her farewell, I guess you could say. But she really wasn't feeling it. She was combative. She didn't want to. So I'm not going to release that episode. There's, there's no way that that's happening. So I'm just re-recording it today. So there you go. Um... A little bit of housekeeping. We just started going on Instagram Live. And we have a new show that we're going to be ripping the audio from at some point. It is called Horror. And currently myself and Neo Zodiac are the ones that are doing it. But I hope we can get some guests on because I think you can add more people to the live. So that way we can have a discussion every week about different horror topics and shoot the shit, you know, all that good stuff, but that's pretty much it on the news front, uh, brand no longer with us, horror roundtable begins, it's still cold as fuck, so we're not going to any flea markets or any outlets or anything to do, um, horror, uh, I forget even what I called it now, (laughs) um, either way, we're not doing anything like that, still too cold, can't go live out in the cold because nobody's there, it's, it's outdoors, so, yeah, uh, I think that's it. We're going to be starting a Patreon soon. Uh, we know that now that there's interest in it, so that's pretty cool. Um, I think that's it. So, yeah, why don't we go ahead and get into this case? Um, as you know, if you've been listening for the eight episodes of True Crime and Hard Time, or before that, Done to Death, this is a format where I, de- I discuss the true crime that happened, and then I dive into the movie that they uh, made from the true crime to see if the movie matches the true crime, you know, what they left out, what they kept in, yada yada, all that good stuff. So today we are going to be doing the Robert Hansen case. Um, It's very graphic, so... Please go into this knowing that there is huge trigger warnings for rape, torture, um, dismemberment, (laughs) uh, all sorts of shit. I'm going to try to make the episode as fast as possible because, you know, I know people don't like to hang around sometimes for an hour and listen to people talk. So, Hanson was born in Esterville, Iowa in 1939. His parents were Christian, a Danish immigrant, and Edna Hansen. His father, with whom he had a relationship, was very strict and often made him work long hours at the family-owned bakery. During his childhood, he was often bullied for his stutter and severe acne. In school, he had no close friends. After graduating high school in 1957, he enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserve. There, he became a skilled marksman, serving one weekend a month, and working at the bakery at the rest of the time, sometimes volunteering as an assistant drill sergeant at the police academy in the town of Pocahontas. Yes, Pocahontas. In 1960, he fell in love and he fell in love with and married a local girl. On December 7th, the same year, he burned down the school bus garage of the local high school, but was caught um, when a friend turned him in. During his three-year sentence in prison, he divorced. So, yeah, uh, that didn't last long. Only after 20 months, Hansen was paroled, even though 
he had been diagnosed as having an infantile personality. In 1963, he remarried a woman with whom he had two children. In 1967, after several jail sentences for petty theft, he moved to Anchorage, Alaska with his family. Well liked by people who knew him, he became an avid hunter, breaking several hunting records. His records were nullified after his conviction, of course. His weapons of choice were rifles or bow and arrow. The year after his last record-breaking, he was convicted of raping a prostitute and attempting to rape a housewife, but only served six months in prison. In 1977, he was imprisoned again for stealing a chainsaw and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. He was prescribed lithium, but wasn't required by law to actually take it. Fucking lithium. Isn't that grand? He was released after only a year. In the 1980s, he reported a burglary on his home, which he had actually staged. With the money he got from the insurance company, he opened up a of his own and established himself as a well-liked family man. In January 1982, he bought himself a Piper Super Club bush plane, even though he had been denied a license due to his medication. During later questioning, Hansen claimed that he, that starting in 1973, after finishing his rape sentence, he became a serial rapist, picking up prostitutes from Anchorage, Anchorage's Tenderloin district, and taking them up, uh, taking them by his bush plane to the wilderness, where he would rape and torture them. He later claimed that the ones who complied, he would return to Anchorage alive, and those who didn't, he would kill. From 1973 to 1983, he abducted and raped at least 30 women that way and let them go. At least 17 women picked up during the years 1980 to 1983 were less fortunate. After raping them, he released them in the woods and hunted them with a hunting rifle. His crimes first became known in 1982 when the body of an exotic dancer, Sherry Morrow, was found near the Nick River by two off-duty police officers. It took two weeks to identify her. A spent two twenty three shell casing was found in the dirt near the body. Two years prior to that, two other women had been found in similar circumstances. The first was found by construction workers near Eklutna Road and have never been identified. The investigating officer nicknamed her Eklunta Annie. The second was a topless dancer named Joni Messina. On June 13, 1983, a young prostitute named Cindy Paulson was spotted with a handcuff on her wrist by a trucker. He gave her a ride to a motel where she waited for her pimp and called the police. When an Anchorage police officer, Greg Baker, arrived, Paulson told him how a man, Hansen, had offered her $200 for oral sex, handcuffed her, and forced her at gunpoint into his car. Jesus. <laughs> he then drove her to his house. Hansen's wife and children were away vacationing in Europe at the time. And there he brutally raped and tortured her. Afterward, he drove her to an airport and put her in his bush plane, presumably to take her to the wilderness and kill her as well. While he was loading it with supplies, she fled. Paulson made a formal statement to the police and not only identified the make and color of the plane, but also remembered its tail number. Hansen turned out to be the owner and was identified by Paulson as her attacker. But two of Hansen's friends gave him a false alibi for the night of the attack. 
so no formal charges were filed. On September 2nd, the body of another victim of Hansen, Paula Golding, turned up, in, turned up and the case was brought up again. The Alaskan, Alaskan investigators began looking into Hansen again and contacted the FBI, who sent in their profiler, John Douglas. Some sources say it was Roy Hazelwood. He profiled the killer as having low self-esteem, a history of rejection by women, and being an experienced hunter. He also correctly predicted that he would take souvenirs from his victims and would have a stutter. When the two men gave Hansen an alibi for the night, he attacked Cindy Paulson, uh, confessed that they had been lying. The investigators focused on him. They brought him in for questioning while uh, executing search warrants on his house, plane, and cars. In his house, they found a collection of weapons, including the 223 Ruger Mini-14 he had used to commit his murders, IDs and jewelry taken from his victims, and an aviation map with several marked locations. When an FBI forensic lab matched the shell casings found near the victims to the Mini-14 found in Hansen's house, he made a plea bargain. He was charged with the four murders whose victims had been found, and with the abduction and rape of Cindy Paulson, and agreed to confess to all of them, give details about his victims, and show the burial sites marked on his map in exchange for serving his sentence in a federal prison and avoiding media publicity. He showed the police 17 of his burial sites, but refused to help them with the other four. It has been theorized that he wouldn't confess to killing them because they were neither prostitutes nor strippers and couldn't justify the murders to himself. The victims that were found exhumed and returned to the families. Um, on February 18, 1984, Hansen was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison plus 461 years. He was initially incarcerated at the United States Penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, before being moved back to Alaska and jailed at Lemon Creek Correctional Center, then Spring Creek Correctional Center. On May 11, 2014, he was moved to the Anchorage Correctional Center to receive medical attention for undisclosed lingering health conditions. Hansen died on August 21st of the same year at Alaska Regional Hospital due to undisclosed health conditions. He had a do-not-resuscitate order on his file. So, yeah, he was a piece of shit. <clears throat> um, that's needless to say. Uh, very, very horrible individual. So, the movie that was made about Robert Hansen was called The Frozen Ground. It had a runtime of one hour and 45 minutes. The release date was August 23, 2013. The budget was $19.2 million. It did not make its money back. It only made $5.6 million in the box office. Screenplay was by Scott Walker, directed by Scott Walker. Cinematography by Patrick... Mergia, and the production companies were Grindstone Entertainment Group, Cheetah Vision, Court 5, <clears throat> and Emmett Furla Films. Currently, you're able to watch The Frozen Ground streaming on Netflix or for free with ads on Tubi TV. It is also possible to rent The Frozen Ground on Apple iTunes, Google Play Movies, Vudu, Amazon Video, Microsoft Store, YouTube, Redbox, DirecTV Online, and you can download it for purchase on Apple iTunes, Google Play Movies, Vudu, Amazon Video, Microsoft Store, YouTube, Redbox, and Direct TV. The ratings for this movie are 6.4 out of 10 from IMDb users, 61% from Rotten Tomato users, 37% from Metacritic users, and 90% from Google users. 
other podcasts have covered this case, not the movie. Um, some of those podcasts are morbid. Last podcast on the left, Serial Killers, Obscure, Time Suck, Serial Killing, Espionage, Rotten Mango, The Spooky Hour, 10-Minute Murder, and many more. Plot. Alaska trooper Jack Holcomb believes Robert Hansen is a serial killer who abducts young girls, tortures, and sexually assaults them, then kills them. But Holcomb doesn't have enough evidence to get a search warrant for Hansen's premises. Holcomb knows that one victim, Cindy Paulson, somehow survived, so he decides to seek her help, but he finds that she is now a junkie with trust issues. Holcomb has to earn her trust. Meanwhile, Hansen is still hunting and killing girls. This film did not have very many film facts on IMDb, which is pretty wild. There was only six more after these ten. So, number one, Scott Walker delayed shooting for five months so he could shoot the cusp of fall. Starting with no snow and ending in deep winter, he has said he literally wanted the feel of the weather closing in on the story, freezing the case. Number two, Jack Holcomb is based on retired Alaska, retired Alaska State Trooper Detective Glenn Floth. Number three, when Holcomb is reviewing files in connection to the missing girls, the photos he looks through and the ones on the wall at the police station later, with exception of Vanessa's character, are those of the real-life victims. Number four, Heavy Metal Shuffle by the punk band Reagan Youth plays during the strip club scene. Vocalist David Rubenstein's girlfriend was a prostitute who was murdered by serial killer Joel Rifkin. Number five, the film was shot in 26 days. By the end of filming, the days had three and a half fewer hours of daylight. Number six, Brie Lawson, Larson auditioned for the role of Cindy Paulson. She overdid her, audi- her audition scene to the point that she scared the casting director. Number seven, in this movie, Nicolas Cage plays a law enforcement officer and John Cusack plays a convict. In Con Air 1997, the roles were reversed. Cusack was the law enforcement officer and Nicolas Cage was the convict. Number eight, at the beginning, Nicolas Cage was offered to play Robert Hansen, but Cage wanted to play the detective as he thought it was more challenging for him as an actor. Number nine, in the film, John Cusack flies a Piper PA-18 Super Cub. Robert Hansen flew the same type of plane in real life. Now, earlier in the story, it said Super Club, but now it's saying Super Cub. I'm not quite sure which is which, and I'm sorry about that. Number ten, two of Robert Hansen's real-life victims have never been identified. One woman's remains were found in 1980, the other in 1984. The cast of this movie was Nicolas Cage as Sergeant Jack Holcomb, Vanessa Hudgens as Cindy Paulson, Robert Cusack as Robert Hansen, Dean Norris as Sergeant Lyle Halsgiven, Gia Mantonegia as Debbie Peters, Robert Forget as Sergeant Wayne Von Klassen, Brad William Henke as Carl Galensky, Michael McGrady as Vice Detective John Gentile, Catherine Lanasa as Fran Hansen, Ryan Onan as Officer Greg Baker, Lieutenant or Kevin Dunn as Lieutenant Bob Gent, Connor Rockham as Hansen's son, Rada Mitchell as Ali Halcombe, Matt Gerald as Assistant Sergeant Ed Strauber, Jody Lynn O'Keefe as Cheryl Ringel, Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, as Pimp Clayt Johnson, <laughs> Olga Valentine as Jody Brandon, and Jason Collins as Detective Kyle Griston. So, <clears throat> as you can hear with the movie, 
they completely dramatized the case, of course, making Cindy Paulson a drug-addled, untrustworthy person was not the best thing to do. Even though, yes, she did have her problems, but they weren't as bad as the movie made them. Um, Definitely the movie took liberties with how Cindy Paulson left Robert Hansen's uh, grip of terror. In the movie, she was in a motel room, I believe, and she had gotten away. No, she was in the house and she had gotten away. Um, they definitely dramatized the part about the map and the gun and everything that was found in the house. So that's, you know, another thing that they, they kept in, but they obviously made it a huge thing. There's a part where Cindy Paulson's character tried to run away and she was going to take a flight to leave because she didn't want to testify and all this stuff and she didn't want to give up um, Hanson. The movie ultimately hit all the beats of the case. I'm not going to say that it didn't because it did. It definitely changed a lot of things around so that way it's more dramatized, more in-your-face, more pulse-pounding, I guess you want to say. John Cusack did extremely well as Robert Hansen. Super fucking creepy. Um, Nicolas Cage did very well as a detective. uh, Holcomb. So, all in all, I'm going to probably give this movie a C. Because even though they hit the major beats of the Robert Hansen case, they didn't do it justice. I guess the movie was too... I mean, I guess the real-life story was too boring for them, even though 17 women were brutally murdered by this fucking jackass. Um, I don't know. I don't know that the right method was taken in doing the movie. I feel like they could have done the victims of Robert Hansen a little bit more justice in the movie. And... not focused so much on Cindy Paulson being unreliable because clearly she in real life was reliable. She wanted to do the right thing. She wanted to get him put away. So ultimately, I'll actually give it a C minus. Sorry. I can't justify giving this movie anything more than that. Because it was action-packed. It was good. If it's a movie on its own, not based on a real-life multiple tragedy, I would give the movie an A. Because it was a really good movie. If you don't know anything about this case, going into the movie blind, you would just be like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is really good. Because it is. It's, it's very well-acted, very well-paced. Everything about it is fantastic. So the movie itself gets an A. If you don't mention afterwards that this is part of a real-life thing that happened, and then that person goes to discover that, you know, there's things that are there, but it's it's turned around, it's changed, it's different, it's not the way it should be. Uh, you know, that's that's ultimately why it's going to get a C-minus for me. So, yes. <laughs> um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed my foray alone 
I am going to be pretty much ending the episode now. Um, I thank you guys, gals, non-binary pals, uh, spooky cuties, hair rays, and homies, and freaks and geeks for joining me this week. Next week, I'm going to be covering the real-life Scream murder, so please come back for that. Um, Thank you again. I don't know what else to say. Let me know if you guys like me being solo. That would be highly appreciated because, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm doing okay because I'm not used to not having any instant feedback on anything. That's kind of weird. So thank you again for listening along. I appreciate it. See you guys again next week. Bye-bye.